This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Great to be together. If we haven't met, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here. And let me just welcome you and say thanks for being here. It's a joy to have you with us uh, worshiping. We're doing a two-week, two-part series. Today's part two on church leadership. So next week, we're going to start a study of the book of uh, Colossians. We'll just go through it verse by verse, and it is a great book. It's one of the New Testament books that that gives us one of the highest views of Christ. So it's kind of got some theological highs, but then it's got some of the most down-to-earth, practical, here's what you do uh, to follow Jesus type teaching as well. So it's a wonderful combination of uh, doctrine and application, and so we'll be looking at that, trying to be awestruck afresh by who Jesus is but then making that count in daily life so that all of life is lived in light of who he is and what he's done. So that'd be the goal of the book. A series will be called Preeminent because Christ is preeminent over all, and that's a theme of Colossians. So that'll just be a a study that'll go into the summer. Um, We're doing two parts on church leadership today. So if you have a Bible, this is the second part. Go to 1 Timothy 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 13 today. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. You can look at page 576, and then you'll be able to track along with us. And I'd recommend doing that so you'll be able to just see where's this coming from. And there's a, what, a couple points in the, in the message this morning we're going to really dig down in some of the language. So having it in, in front of you will probably uh, help you uh, as you... Uh, uh, help you to pay attention and follow along with what to, what we're doing. So last week, what we did was we looked at verses one through seven, the previous verses in First Timothy three, and we looked at the role of elders or overseers. And we saw that in the New Testament, there are these uh, at least three names for the same role in the church: overseers, elders, pastors. These terms are used synonymously in the church. And what we saw was in verses one through seven. Paul is writing to Timothy, who's in a church in Ephesus, and he's writing to him, and he's saying, look, these are the, this is what a, an overseer, an elder needs to, well, really what he needs to be like. And so it's a description that is primarily character-driven, not what does he do. You could look elsewhere and find that in the New Testament. But this is primarily what is a person to be like that serves in this role. And then sort of towards the end of the message last week, I sort of did this big reveal and said, hey, Everything in this list applies to all of us. And so as you look at the list, think about your own life. And so we saw that, hey, this isn't just a list for elders. This isn't like the character list for, to make varsity and the rest of us just hoping to get on the JV team or something like that. There is, this is a character list that, that represents what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does that look like in your life? So that's what we saw it was about. It applies to all of us. Uh, everybody is called to be above reproach. Uh, both inside and outside the church. The elder must live a consistent life in these ways to serve in that role. So today we're going to look at the role of deacon, and I won't have the big reveal today. I'll just tell you at the outside set, everything we read about the character qualities of a deacon apply to us all as well. So uh, though they're required for a deacon, there's still something that all of us want to aspire to do to follow Christ. So let's read verses 8 through 13. Uh, This is God's word. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 
They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, if they prove themselves blameless, verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your scripture we thank you for these instructions, and Lord, we pray that we, uh, that we would understand what it is you require to be the, life, uh, the lifestyle of a deacon in your church. We also pray that you would call all of our hearts to uh, emulate this pattern of godliness and discipleship, that we would all want to aspire to live this way. And we pray most of all that you would point our attention to Jesus Christ today, uh, who is the perfect servant above all. Lord, we pray that we would see him in his glory in a fresh way, even as we look at this passage today. So speak to us. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and give me uh, strength and grace and clarity to declare your word. I pray that we could all hear it and respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's start with this. Based on the passage we just read, what is a deacon? Well, it just says deacons likewise must be dignified. Or asked another way, what does a deacon do? The, the, the text doesn't really tell us much about what a deacon does. Different churches have different traditions of what a deacon is. The church I grew up in, which I'm very grateful for, but I believe the, their view of deacons was not biblical, as we'll see today. But the church I grew up in, the deacons ran the well, I was going to say ran the show. That sounds bad. They, they led the church, basically, is what they did. And so there was a board of deacons who ran everything. And uh, really, uh, they were probably in the office of overseer or elder, but they called them deacons in the tradition I grew up in. Different churches have different things. Some, some churches have deacons that take care of the building or some the finances. Um, uh, in some ethnic churches, deacons have a different role than they may in some other uh, church. Uh, different theological persuasions. Uh, implement deacons in a different way. Uh, so there's a variance here. And uh, because the scripture doesn't really define so much what they do. So if we want to learn more about deacons, where else could we go besides here? Well, in the ESV, which is the Bible we're reading out of today, the translation we're reading out of today, the ESV, uh, the, the word deacons is used one other time in the Bible. It's Philippians 1 verse 1. And it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So that doesn't really tell us much about them either, does it? He says, I'm writing to the deacons, but what do they do? Well, they knew what they did. Paul knew what they did. Philippi knew what they did. Uh, So uh, there's elders and deacons together in uh, Philippi, and also in First Timothy. Here we see the elders, verses 1 through 7, the deacons, verses 8 through 13. Now, there is one other place the word could be translated deacon. That's in the NIV uh, translation. They translate deacon, so we'll look at that in a bit. But for now, let's just say these two places are what we find the word deacon mentioned. Now, some people say that, well, you can really find sort of the prototype deacons, or you can kind of find the model for deacons in the book of Acts, in Acts 6. So commonly, this passage, Acts 6, 1 through 6, is read, and some people say these are deacons. Other people say, well, this just informs us 
about deacons. It says this, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that means Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Acts 6. So what's happening here is the church is brand new. It's just getting going. The apostles are there. The church is is growing, and they have this problem because it's not just a Jewish congregation, but there's Gentiles and Jews alike, two group of people that that did not get along prior to Christ. Now they're one in Christ. They're all believers together. And so all the Hebrew, the Jewish widows, are getting served food and cared for because they have basic needs. And the uh, the Greek, the Hellenists, were being overlooked. So the apostles said, hey, we're not above feeding widows. We're happy to feed the widows, but this is probably not the best strategic use of our time because if we do that, we're not going to be giving spiritual counsel and teaching and all these other things. So figure out seven people that can take care of that, and we will give ourselves to prayer and teaching. So the word deacon is not used in that passage, but the word serving is, and serve in the New Testament is the verb form of the noun deacon. The verb, the noun form of deacon is servant. It means servant, and the verb is serving. So in Acts 6, it says that they served tables. They served these widows. They deaconed them, or they were deaconing. They were serving, though it doesn't say they had the office of deacon. They were serving. And in our passage that we're looking at today, we see the exact same word uh, appearing in today's passage. So chapter 3, we just read verse 10 says, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. So there we have the verb and the noun, serving and deacons. And then in verse 13, it says, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing. So the, 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 the office is not mentioned in Acts 6, but the idea is kind of there. And here's, here's where that passage can be helpful, because we see elders and deacons together right here in 1 Timothy 3. We saw it in Philippians 1. And they kind of have a different role. And it probably could parallel what we saw in Acts 6, that deacons take care of practical needs of service. They're caring for the food distribution for the widows so that the other office that's mentioned here, the elders who must be able to teach, uh, we just read last week, they must be able to teach, they can give themselves to the ministry of the word. So the same combination we see in Acts 6 probably works between in 1 Timothy 3 between elders and deacons. The deacons take practical service. The elders give themselves. They serve practically as well. They're not above that for sure, but they are giving themselves more towards prayer and the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word could be teaching. It could be training. It could be discipling. It could be counseling. Uh, it could be overseeing discipleship in the church. It could be setting direction biblically. It could be equipping, training leaders, whatever. So they're giving themselves to this kind of ministry for the spiritual care of the church. And the, el- the deacons are doing practical service ministry. Um, and both work together. So deacons, uh, likely, I think if we look in the New Testament, we can say they are, it's a serving role. The word means servant, 
But what's strategic about their service? They're serving because they work together with the elders by assisting them and providing care for various needs in the church. So I think it's probably based on the word and looking at Acts 6 and at least drawing a principle there. That's probably what the deacons do. But deacons aren't merely people who get stuff done or lead in practical service, or even they do lead, even someone called them lead servants. So even they're not just lead servants getting stuff done. This passage says they must have exemplary character uh, and they must be committed to sound doctrine. This passage says as well. So what I'd like to do is look at this. And as we're going through this, you could certainly think about the idea of a deacon, but I'd like us to think about ourselves um, and, and think about how does this apply to me? Because it does apply to all of us. So verse eight, deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. What does that mean? They must be dignified. Last week we saw elders, they must be above reproach. And then there was a long list of what it meant to be above reproach. Here, they must be dignified And then there's a list of what it means to be dignified. Now, dignified doesn't mean, I don't know, British royalty or whatever comes to mind when you think of dignified, like super proper and kind of stuffy and uh, classy, wealthy, whatever, you know. uh, it, It doesn't mean that. It means worthy of respect. So there's a dignity about them, there's a gravitas about them, there's a respectability about them. That's what the, that's what the word means. They're respected. And it gives three reasons that they uh, describe being dignified or respected. The first one is not double-tongued. They don't have two tongues. Uh, another translation translates this sincere. That is, they're sincere. That, that, that's not literally what it means it literally means double-tongued but the idea is sincere what does it mean well it means they don't talk out we would say it this way they don't talk out of two sides of their mouth so being double-tongued is talking out of two sides of your mouth it could be that it could be I say one thing over here to this person and I say something different over here to this person that could be hypocritical especially if those I want to impress I act a way that will kind of impress them with my godliness and act that way. And then I go over here around people that aren't godly and act however I want. So I'm inconsistent. I lack integrity. I, I say one thing around one group of people. I say something else around another. It could mean that. That would be double-tongued. Uh, another way to be double-tongued would be I say something, but then I don't follow up on it. So, so being double-tongued could be d- don't say, don't be uh, untrustworthy. Don't be devious with your speech, untrustworthy. Just say something but not do it. So that, it could be that. But basically, the point is integrity of speech. It's that you say what you say, you do what you say you're going to do, and you speak consistently. You don't have a double tongue. Next, it says not addicted to much wine. It means being free from addictions. We could say it that way. Uh, the Bible does not uh, forbid uh, drinking of alcohol. But the Bible does forbid drunkenness, and it certainly forbids a dependence, living a life dependent upon alcohol or other substances. Other substances would apply here too. It just means don't be addicted. Uh, Don't allow something else to control you, especially something that would control you that would cloud your judgment and your thinking, Uh, like being addicted to alcohol would affect your ability to make rational decisions. And and a deacon needs to be able to serve with clear head. Um, So not addicted to wine. Next, not greedy for dishonest gain. That means can't be driven by uh, greed for money. Got to have financial integrity. Got to be trustworthy with money. Now, why is that important for a deacon? 
Well, because in a lot of church traditions, and I think this is probably wise, um, deacons can connect with the financial ministry of the church at some level. So sometimes a deacon might be someone who would, uh, you know, uh, help look over the budget and make sure there's an accountability to the spending in the church. So that, that could be a deacon role. Or another one might be uh, a lot of churches have deacons who help uh, disperse benevolence like Act 6. Benec- uh, disperse financial benevolence to those who need help or give money uh, towards mercy ministry, something like that. So if someone's going to have financial decision-making power, especially to help the vulnerable, you wouldn't want that to be, like, like in Act 6, you wouldn't want that to be a person who's dishonest and greedy and uh, doesn't, doesn't have their heart right with money. So basically being dignified means having self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, and Paul's saying, look, for the deacon person, this, this guy needs to have, be dignified and exemplary in self-control. He needs to be able to control his speech. needs to be able to control his alcohol and other substances. needs to be able to control his money, or at least, probably better said, his attitude toward money. So that's the kind of person that the deacon is. But it's not just a person who can serve. That's what deacon means. Not just a servant, not just someone with good character, but also someone who has... Uh, who has sound doctrine. Look at the next phrase in verse uh, 10. This is a doctrinal qualification. Let them also be tested. I'm sorry, verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In the New Testament, when the word mystery is used, it doesn't mean like something that's unknown that we've got to put the clues together to figure out. It's not like let's be sleuths and let's go on, hey, let's all be detectives. No, that's not what it means. Mystery is something that's been hidden that's now revealed. So the, the mystery of the faith is the work of Christ. For centuries, it was, it was being un, uh, slowly revealed. It was a mystery. How will God save people? How will God rescue people ultimately? And they had signs. They had sacrifices and various things like this. But ultimately, it's in Christ. And so now the mystery has been revealed that Jesus is God, that Jesus dies for our sins, that Jesus rose for our sins. That's the mystery which has been revealed. And so basically when it says a deacon must be someone who holds on to that mystery, it means this person must have a grasp of the gospel and of the the sound doctrine in the Bible. It's got to be a Bible person. It's got to be someone who holds to the gospel. It can't just be someone who can get a lot of stuff done. It's like, hey, the deacon, who, who gets the most stuff done? Let's just call them a deacon. Not in the church. This must be a leader who get stuff done who, or, and, and who leads others in getting stuff done, but they do that motivated by the gospel. They understand the gospel and their service springs from their faith. They're not just trying to get stuff done. They know Jesus. They know what Jesus has done for them. And that is the foundation and the motivation for their service. They, they hold it with a clear conscience that, that it is the work of Christ that is their foundation and their motivation. I think that would be a way to say it. It also says, let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Let them be tested. So they're saying, don't just find someone who can get a lot of stuff done. Somebody shows up down at the church two weeks in a row, man, they're knocking it out of the ballpark. They're stacking chairs. They're picking up uh, trash. They're organizing spontaneously something over on the side. You go, wow, that's a servant. Let's make them a deacon. No. It says you've got to know them. They've got to be tested. They've got to be around. You've got to know their character. You've got to know that they hang on to the gospel. So these are what he's looking for, though God is looking for. He's looking for people with, who are dignified, that is, who are respectable, who have control of their speech, their alcohol, and their money, who hold on to Christ and believe in the gospel, and who uh, have been tested. So 
this is all pretty straightforward. And then we meet our friend, verse 11. Uh, Verse 11, things get a little bit more complicated. Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Um, So the ESV translation translates this in a way that would seem to indicate that what Paul is now addressing are the wives of deacons. And when I say translation, because we're going to look at a couple of other translations, maybe you're new to the Bible. Let me explain what a translation is. Um, Jesus didn't speak English. Disappointing, I know. Uh, Paul didn't speak English. uh, And the original Bible was not written in English, not even King James English. Not, it was like, that was like 1,400, 1,500 years after the fact. I know the movie, Jesus said thou and all that, and, and thee and thou. That's not the case. So uh, the, the New Testament is written in Greek, and then it is translated into, well, whatever language you read for us here today, English. And the way translations are made is that a team of scholars, there's not one guy doing it, one gal doing it. A team of scholars come together. And they study, they study the manuscripts, they, uh, they study the, the manuscripts of the Greek texts that we have. Uh, they study other uh, language of the day, how was Greek spoken and written in the day, so they can compare. And they come together and they hammer it out. They debate out each word, each phrase, how should it be translated. <clears throat> and then you get different translations of the Bible. We don't need to get into this. There's different philosophies of how to translate, how wooden and literal to be, how much to give maybe just the sense of what the Greek meant rather than the literal. There's different approaches to it. Uh, But if you've ever taken another uh, language study, if you've ever studied a language, here's what you know. Sometimes there could be more than one word, uh, or one word could be translated more than one way. So it could mean uh, more than one thing. So if you want to take this particular word and you want to make it, uh, bring it over into this language, you go, oh, wow, there's more than one way that that could be translated. And that's exactly what we face in this translation, the ESV. So um, the, the question here that arises is, can women be deacons? Because the way this is, the ESV has chosen to translate this, is they have said, their wives likewise must. So the implication, you read their wives, what do you think? I think we're talking about male deacons who are married, and now we're going to start talking about their wives. Last week, we saw that the role of elder, uh, because of chapter 2, verse 12 in the same book, you can just go up a few chapters, that, that, that uh, Paul said that that role was a, a male role of oversight in the church, teaching in the church, in the gathered church, the overseer was a male role. Well, is that true in this case as well? What about women deacons? So in the ESV, if you'll have a footnote, because here's in one of those things where it can be translated one way or the other. So the Greek word that the ESV translates wives, and then they actually insert the word there. There is not in the Greek, but they they give the word wives. If you look at your footnote, you will see that it can also be translated wives likewise, not their wives, but wives likewise, or it could be translated women likewise, because the word in the Greek means women, or it means wives. It's the same word. What is important to see is that the ESV, which this is what the text we use. I love the ESV. 
But the ESV translators are making an interpretive call here, and everybody has to do that. They have to say, okay, I want to translate this into a language you understand. What does it really say and mean? And what they're doing is they insert the word there. There is not in the Greek text. And they tell, below they tell you, yeah, this could be translated women or wives. But they translate it wives. Fair call. You've got to say women or wives. They go with wives. And then they say, it wouldn't have made sense just to say wives. It must be attached to someone. So they're saying this is the wives of the elder. Now, I'm going to uh, explain this in some detail. And uh, I, I hope that it's going to be helpful to you. Um, so I'm gonna, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this, going through what does this actually mean. And I'm going to start by looking at a different uh, translation, the most literal and, and I would say wooden translation. I use it for study, but I don't read it here on Sundays. Is the New American Standard Bible. New American Standard Bible is the most literal, which doesn't mean it's the best to read always. But they, they try to keep things just in, in, in a literal sense rather than explain what it means. And this is how they translate this verse that we're reading, verse 11. The New American Standard says, Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. It's probably the most conservative approach to translating this because they're not going to add anything. Women must likewise uh, be dignified. Uh, And so what they do is they don't go wives, they go women. And that's very different because now we're not talking about the women of the male deacons. Now we're talking about a different group that's just called women. So that is a different way to uh, translate the same word. The The New American Standard in their footnote says this could be deacons' wives or this could be women deacons, deaconesses. And then in the ESV in their footnote, they say their wives, this could be women. So they both say, hey, this could be the other, but they all made a call. The, the NASB, the most kind of literal, strictest approach, goes with women. And so there are three common interpretations of this verse. One is uh, it's women who assist male deacons. That's not a common approach, and I'm going to push it aside because there's nowhere else in the Bible we hear about this group of people that assist the deacons. The deacons assist, so we don't get the assistance to the assistance. I'm going to put that one aside, but I'm going to acknowledge it, because some churches have assistance to the deacons, and they are women. The other option is this is the wives of male deacons, or this is women, the NASB, this is women who are deacons. So ESV, wives of the deacons, NASB, women of the deacons, both fair translations. But every church has to make a call which way they will go. Will they appoint women deacons or not? Um, is this, wh- wh- how are you going to pick this? And as we've studied this in some detail, as a pastoral team, we've spent quite a bit of time reading on our own and then discussing. I was going to say debating, but we found ourselves easily on the same page. Um, as we have looked at this, what we've come to realize is that With this verse alone, it would be really difficult to make a call, at least to say the scripture uh, forbids female deacons or requires female deacons. It'd be hard to say because either one of those translations are fair. But our conclusion, as we looked at a body of material, is that the scripture does not forbid women deacons. Uh, We believe that women can and should serve as deacons in the church and uh, so I'm going to give an explanation why. This is going to feel a little technical. It may already feel a little technical. Well, I'm not going to get more technical than I just have. But it may feel a little technical. Um, and this isn't a normal sermon to kind of go into this kind of deal. But it's important 
for a couple reasons. One is we handle the scripture carefully and we don't just say, hey, we decide what the church is like. We decide what the offices are and what people do and what God wants. No, no, we, we submit ourselves to him and say, God, what do you want in the church? And then we have to follow that. So we have to wrestle with the scripture and the text. So that's one thing. Uh, and secondly, if you've been in a church that has women deacons, then what I'm about to say in the next, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, you're going to say, what a waste of time. I, I, I know that, or it's, of course, it's just that way. I mean, it's whatever. If you've been in a church that has not had women deacons, then hopefully this will serve you because this will give some kind of an explanation of why churches do have women deacons. And again, I'm not talking about elders. I'm not talking about deacons that oversee the church. I'm talking about deacon means servant. I'm talking about servants that lead in areas of service, practical service in the church. So if you haven't been in a church that has that, then this will be helpful, hopefully for you. Okay, here's the first reason. If the term can be translated women or wives, it seems odd that the ESV that we read, that the translation inserts there, which is not there, uh, boy, that's confusing, uh, the word T-H-E-I-R, which is not T-H-E-R-E, uh, it's not there in the original, it's inserted in to interpret who these wives are. So if you pick wives and you say that's the translation, uh, and then you add there in there, what it does is it creates a standard of qualification for the wife of the male deacon. So the wife has to live up to a qualification standards. Not only must the male qualify for deacon ministry, not only is he to be tested and affirmed, but his wife must meet similar and we'll see almost identical character standards. Um, and that's what happens when you add uh, there. It's an unusual implication uh, because if you look at it, verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified Okay, that's, if you take the wives' view, that's what the husbands are supposed to be. Not slanderers. Well, the husbands were supposed to be not double-tongued speech. Sober-minded, verse 11. Well, that's like not drunk, but a broader than not drunk. Uh, and faithful in all things. So it's the same categories to the wives. And the reason this is peculiar is because if a deacon must be qualified personally as a male to serve and his wife must meet, I'm going to call those identical standards, she must meet identical standards. It's unusual that there is no standard for an elder's wife. If this means wife, when we looked at verses 1 through 7 last week, the wives in the elders passage are not even mentioned. And the, the elders oversee the deacons. The elders oversee the church. It seems curious that if you pick wives instead of women, if you pick wives, it seems curious that the deacon would be held to a higher standard ultimately than the elder would because his wife must meet a set of criteria. And I would assume evalu be evaluated. I would assume that as well, she, sh she shouldn't be new and she should have demonstrated uh, faithfulness as well. Um, elders' wives are never mentioned. And elders' wives could have been mentioned. It's not like, well, that was awkward. They were just teaching about teaching the church and you wouldn't mention that. Well, no, it would have been very natural. It said the elder must be hospitable. It didn't say that about the deacon. The elder must be hospitable. Uh, which if he's married is going to certainly involve the character of his wife, or you would think. Um, he's got to manage his family well, which this passage says as well. So there would have been an easy place for God through Paul to say, hey, what about these elders' wives? They need to live up to a certain standard. But it doesn't. It just says the elders. So it seems curious that for if the, the deacons that we'd be talking about their wives here. That's the first point in the context exegetically. Number two, the flow of the passage 
it works well with women instead of wives. I'm not saying it ha- I'm not saying that it has to be this because of the flow, but the flow makes sense. So if verse eight is deacons likewise must be, and we get dignified. So we get not double tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy. Uh, so that we get what they have to be dignified. They have to hold the mystery of the faith. They have to have held it for a while. They have to be tested first. Okay, so we get this thing about them. Now, the same, it says likewise, the same is true with women, the women deacons. The same is true with the women deacons. We've got the same standard for them. They have to be dignified, not slanderers and sober-minded. Then it goes to verse 12, sounds like men again, the husband of one wife, man in his household well. And then verse 13, they, uh, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing, sounds like his general. So the flow would be this, speaking to all de- about all deacons in verses 8 to 10, addressing women, Women deacons, the same thing. Then it looks like male deacons, verse 12, and then everybody again in 13. So deacons, women deacons, male deacons, all deacons. It, it, has, a, it has a reasonable flow. Not saying that sells, I'm not saying that, 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 that uh, sells the case, but I'm saying it certainly has a reasonable flow. Um, there is a potential mention of a woman deacon elsewhere in the Bible as well. If you remember earlier, I said that the ESV only mentions deacon twice, right here and in Romans 16, 1, where we saw, I'm sorry, no, that's wrong. Philippians 1, we're going to go to Romans 16 right now, but Philippians 1. But the, the NIV translates Romans 16, 1 like this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, Phoebe's a female name, Phoebe, a deacon of the church in century. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help uh, she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. If we could leave that up just a second, please. Okay, in 1 Timothy 3, remember uh, we said wife and, uh, w- wives and women are the same word. So you've got to make a ch- ch- call. The same is true here. The word deacon is servant. The NIV translates it, translates the same, it could be either, servant or deacon. The NIV translates it deacon. They believe that this is referring to Phoebe as holding this office in the church. The English Standard Version, the ESV translation, translates it servant. They both in the footnotes say it could be the other. So these guys in the footnotes say it could be servant. ESV, they, they put servant, they say it could be deacon. So they all acknowledge what the other one is. So this doesn't prove that she was a deacon because it would be fair to call it servant. However, I would note this, that this woman, Phoebe's got game. Paul is writing to Romans and she's a woman of influence, no question. The description of her would certainly fit someone who held the serving office of deacon. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy as people to give her any help that she may need from you. Receive her as worthy. The ESV study Bible says that many scholars believe that she delivered the, the letter to Rome. So when it says, I'm commending her to you, receive her, she's coming to Rome, obviously. Well, why is she coming to Rome? Many say she carried the letter. That's a significant responsibility of someone that would certainly meet these standards that would carry the letter. And she has helped many people, and she's been a benefactor. The word could be patron. Uh, so she may have means. She, she has helped a lot of people, including me. She's cared for a lot of people. So she's got a serious responsibility uh, delivering this letter. She's cared for a lot of people. So she could be servant. She is a servant, no question, but very well could be. I think deacon's a fair translation of that. It's not unfair. So there is a potential translation as well 
of a, of a woman deacon in the New Testament. So we read a number of articles, commentaries. I'm going to email out a couple of very brief articles this week that argue for what I'm arguing for right now. Uh, one's by Tim Keller and one's by a New Testament scholar named uh, Kostenberger. Um, but when we read a lot, we, we sort of looked at it and we said, if deacons are only in 1 Timothy 3 and maybe Romans 16 right here, uh, it's pretty hard to make a call just based on that. You got to make a call. You got to say wives or women. You got to say servant or deacon. You got to make a call. But it's going to be pretty hard to say this is a bulletproof case. I mean, can you really look at what I've just told you? Because it could be wives or women, because it could be servant or deacon. Is there a bulletproof case that says only male deacons? Is there a bulletproof case that says must have female deacons? I think there are arguments on both sides. Um, I'm persuaded for the reasons I've given that it's women. Uh, women deacons here. But what we did was we stepped back and said, okay, let's ask a different question since people could argue either way. And most of the people we read conservative biblically uh, were advocating for women deacons. It was kind of a majority, not a minority position that we, of the people we read. But um, we stepped back and said, is there anything in the New Testament that would cause us to say, is there anything we could read that would say women would be forbidden from being deacons? And remember, 2.12 talks about teaching. Deacons don't teach and having an oversight. It's not the overseer. It's not, it's not preaching to the church as an elder. That's not what it is. It's a lead serving role, serving and leadership role. We said, is there any reason that they would be forbidden? And we said, well, that 2.12 doesn't apply to a deacon. First uh, Timothy 2.12 applies to an elder. And we just said, no, we don't see that at all in the text of the New Testament. We don't see this as a role that would be limited and we, we came away excited about the idea of having uh, a woman serve in a deacon role in the church. We come away saying uh, we feel like that we want to recognize, because we already have ladies doing diaconal work in the church, but we would like to recognize, we would like to encourage, we would like to support women in carrying out lead serving roles uh, in the life of the church. We want to endorse that. We want to be excited about that and uh, uh, and that doesn't compromise at all uh, the, our biblical values as, uh, of a complementarian position at all. It doesn't compromise that. We just think it's really uh, important. So if you have questions about this, I mean, certainly we're free to talk. Let us know. We're going to um, next week I'll talk a little bit more about the, how we come to I'll share a little more detail about how we came to the conclusion next, uh, next week on the uh, 22nd at night. We're having a update church update meeting if you'd like to come to that we'll be sharing about that so again that felt like a long if you come from a church with women deacons maybe that felt like a beating I don't know like oh my goodness of course uh and then if you didn't it may feel like a beating too I don't know but if you didn't come from a church at least at least you're let in on our thoughts of uh, how we're viewing the text of scripture which is arguably limited and how we're coming to that conclusion so I just mentioned we see that Women have the same requirements, verse 11, dignified, we already talked about that, not slanderers, uh, so their speech is not destructive, they're not giving false reports or accusing people, that kind of thing. Sober-minded, that's different than not addicted to wine. Sober-minded, obviously if you're drunk, you're not sober-minded, but it means more uh, a mindset of clear thinking. It means emotionally stable. He wants these ladies to be emotionally stable, sober-minded, uh, sort of not reactionary because they're needing to serve in a way that would set, a ca- that would set an environment of peace, uh, that would set an environment of care, that would be decision-making uh, in certain areas. And so you, you can't be, not only can you not be drunk, but you can't be emotionally sort of unstable in that role and faithful in all things. 
Next, like the elders, it says deacons are to be sexually faithful. If he's addressing just the men there, it sounds like that. Husbands of one wife uh, means a one-man woman, uh, that his heart and body are for his wife and for no other women. Um, A woman would need to be sexually faithful as well. Um, Managing their children, we talked a lot about that last week. So there is a care for the kids. There's a training and equipping for their children, certainly for that. Um, and then it says, so, so they're discipling their own kid, so their own kids. So there's how we see the role of deacons in the home. So it's their character, it's their convictions about scripture, it's being tested, it's their home life. That's the whole picture that all of us are called to as Christians in following the Lord. And then it gives these kind of two promises. Verse 13, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. What does that mean? Well, they're not doing it to be promoted. You can't be a servant. And then self-promotion and servanthood are opposites. So it can't be, I want a good standing. I want everybody to know me. I want everybody, you know, I want my picture in the lobby and everybody to say I'm fantastic. And well, that, you can't be a servant. You can't be called to an office that means serving if that's your motive. It doesn't mean that kind of a good standing, but it means that ultimately there, there, there'll be a, f- a fruitfulness. Those who serve faithfully, there'll be a fruitfulness in their ministry and a, and a privilege of influence, a privilege of influence. A good standing is a place of influence. It's a good place of influence for the deacon who serves faithfully. And it also says that they will gain, gain great confidence in their faith. So John Stott said this, faithful service will increase Christian confidence. That's true for all of us. If we isolate ourselves from the people of God and we don't serve and we're just into ourselves, that creates all kinds of challenges. That creates all kinds of deception. That creates all kinds of questions about where am I with the Lord. But if we throw ourselves into the people of God and we are living as servants, all of us, there is a confidence as you experience God, as you see him work in others' lives, as you see him work through you. There's a confidence, what's called an assurance here. Um, and it's not always people who lack assurance of faith, but the answer is not always grab a broom, but there is a sense in which faithful service can, uh, we experience the Holy spirit in that. And there's a, there's a, there's a sense of God's presence with us as we serve. So I think that's what it's talking about. So deacons are called to live a life of exemplary character, which reflects Jesus Christ as their title points to the title deacon means servant. And so the title deacon points to Christ. And so just as Jesus, we looked at elders and overseers last week, just as Jesus is the great shepherd, that means the great pastor, just as Jesus is the overseer of our souls, we read from Hebrews last week. So just as Jesus is the ultimate pastor, just as he is the great shepherd and the overseer of our souls, Jesus is the perfect deacon. If deacon means servant, then he is the chief deacon of the church. Because no one is served like Jesus. And so the role points to Christ. This is an astounding way to describe Jesus as a servant. And this is where Christianity differs um, from most every other religion. This is where it differs from most every other religion. Because Christianity says God became a man. And that man came not to come as a king so that everybody in his first coming so that everybody would bow before him and, and recognize his kingship as he's just sort of, you know, wiping out his enemies and p- becoming this great political ruler and 
No, nothing like that. He comes as one who serves and washes his disciples' feet, cares for the poor, moves towards the marginalized, loves the outcast, and then ultimately serves by dying on a cross. I mean, this idea, it is mind-bending. And to the world, to many people in the world, it's a foolish idea that God himself would come and serve. A deacon serves. Jesus is the ultimate deacon. Look at what Philippians 2 says. Philippians 2 says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God uh, to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we think of deacons, we think of the role of serving. But as we think of serving, we must first think of Jesus. Do you know the message of Christianity is not go and serve well and God will accept you. The message of Christianity is not go and serve faithfully and God will welcome you. That is, the, that is the message of many philosophies and religions, but that is not the message of the Christianity. The message of Christianity is you don't serve well. You serve yourself. The message of Christianity is from the day I was born, I have had a self-orientation that is not geared towards God, but is geared towards me. And I serve myself. And often, even when I serve others, I'm looking for something out of it myself. Uh, admiration, respect, love, a favor in return, being recognized. And that's tested when you serve and aren't recognized and someone else is recognized for what you did. That's when it's tested. Oh, wait a minute, I did that with a good motive, but you know. (laughs) So the message of Christianity is you don't serve God faithfully. God calls us to perfection and you have not served God faithfully. So Jesus serves you. You, you couldn't serve God faithfully and live a perfect life, so God serves you. Listen to that language. That's what we just read. God serves people. The creator of the universe came to serve you. This is astounding. Took the form of a servant. How did he do that? Well, through his teaching and his care and his healing, but ultimately through his death. He, even death on a cross. We just read Philippians 2. So the message of Christianity is that God came to serve you, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that Jesus died for sinners, that Jesus was raised. And if you turn from your sin, then his life, his righteousness will be credited to you. If you turn from your sin and believe in Jesus, his obedience is credited to you and your disobedience is credited to him. That is, he dies as your substitute in your place. This is the good news of Christianity is that you cannot be accepted by God based on your service. You can only be accepted by God based on Jesus's service for you. And that is grace. That is grace. That is the greatest relief imaginable. Because if I look at my heart and my life and I I look at the scripture, which says, Jesus said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. I look at my life and go, I am not anywhere near that. And I hate the selfishness and the pride that I see coming up, bubbling up in my heart all the time, wanting this, wanting that, you know, desiring that. I hate that. And if I have to be accepted by God because because of the purity of my heart, I'm sunk. And so are you. And so is every other religious person on the planet. It's only when we come to say, it's not about my serving God. It's about God serving me. 
by God serving me in the person of Jesus. Well, does that make us more important than God if he's serving us? No, it makes God more important because that humble servant sacrifice points to the grace of God. The the glory of God is that he's loving and gracious and merciful. The glory of God is that he is holy and, and judges the sinful. And he comes and takes our judgment He dies in our place. That's the glory of God is that he would come in service. The greatest among you is what? Your servant. Jesus is the greatest servant. Thus, Jesus is worthy of our worship. He humbled himself on a cross. This is the message. Now, when we get that message and we say, okay, I give up. I can't live enough to to honor you, Lord, and win a relationship, earn a relationship with you. So I receive what you did for me as a gift. I repent of my sin. I believe in Jesus. I receive it as a gift. Now you're accepted by God. And now God calls you to go live like Christ and represent him. So now you're called to go serve, not to win his acceptance, but because you're already accepted. See, we serve from acceptance, not for acceptance. We do good works, not to win a relationship with God, but because he has saved us by grace. And Philippians 2.10 created, Ephesians 2.10 created us, created good works that we should walk in them. So he calls us to live this kind of life. Jesus is the perfect servant, and you can't be a Christian unless you're served by him. That's what he washed the disciples' feet, and Peter says, no, 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 you can't serve me, Jesus. He says, if I don't serve you, you have no part of me. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. He says, okay, then wash me all. If I've got to receive your service to be in relationship with you, I receive it. And that's what it means to become a Christian. So we are all called as Christians to serve because we've been served by Christ and that changes the orientation of our lives. We're all called to a life of deaconing. There may be a few in the church that we will acknowledge as deacons and give them some responsibilities. That's good and fine, but we're all called to be lives of servants who are deacons. Let's set our sights high on that noble calling, the life of service. This word servant and deacon are interchangeable. It's the same word in Greek. And so Derek Thomas made this little translation of Mark 10. Mark 10, 43 through 45 is a common passage. This is what he says. Whoever would be great among you must be your deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to receive diaconal care, but to serve as a deacon and to give his life a ransom for many. When we think of the word deacon, we should be thinking of servant. And when we think of servant, we should be thinking of Jesus. And when we think of Jesus, we should be thinking, oh, what a savior. Lord, empower me to serve as you want me to serve all of us. That should be the progression of our thoughts. So as I mentioned next week, if you come to the meeting, we'll lay out briefly a little bit of a process for recognizing a few deacons in our church. We'll start with a few and add some more in the future. And we're going to start with people who are already doing diaconal service. But so we'll, we'll, we'll lay out a process of how we want to walk through that and what your involvement in that process would be as well. And, and I'm thankful for that because that's in the Bible and that's wonderful. And I'm all about having elders and deacons in the church. But can I say this? That's not our dream. It's not like, okay, now we've got, I don't know what the number is, four, six, whatever. Now we've got seven people who can do all the work and I can sit back and receive their service. They got the gift of serving. I got the gift of receiving. This is working out fantastic. It's a church for me. About time we had some people officially recognized to serve me. If that's your attitude, that's a problem. No, our goal is not to have a few people 
male and female. That's not our goal. Our goal is to have a church of people enamored with the great servant, worshiping in awe of the great servant Jesus who laid down his life for us, so transformed by his grace that we're a church of servants. I mean, that's that transforming power of knowing Christ and what he's done so that it's not just a checklist of stuff I've got to do, but my heart is changed. So I want to lay down my life for others. I want to look for the marginalized because of what Christ has done in my life. That's the goal. I want to care for the needy because of what Christ has done in my life. I don't have to have the title deacon or not. We're all called the deacon in some way. I want that in my life, Lord. I want transform me so that I see a need. I see a need. I read someone who was, uh, read an article where someone was talking about, okay, they read Acts 6 and it said that ser- they served tables. And so they were going to train some deacons. They said, okay, well, Acts 6, don't know if that's the deacon or not, right? But th- that says serve tables. So this person got on the phone and they, they called up uh, in Philadelphia, this, the Philadelphia Restaurant Association that trained servers to serve tables. Church called them up and said, what makes a good table server, a good waiter? What makes a good waiter? And this is what they were told by the, registra- uh, by the restaurant association. The top quality of a table server is that they see your need and meet it before you even recognize you need it. Keep my diet Dr. Pepper filled up. That's what that means right there. So before you even need they're on it. They've got you taken care of before... Before you can even ask for help, I want that kind of a heart that says, I'm not just, oh, something needs to get done. Tell me what it is and give me the three points. And yeah, I guess I could do that. I'm going to be so struck by Christ, so loving of others that my eyes see and detect needs. I've got man eyes, so I don't see that a lot of times. My wife has to tell me, hey, that person is carrying something. Could you help them out? Oh, that person that's humped down that tripped and fell. Oh, yeah, I I I didn't even know. Yeah, that's a good idea. So serving, I want to have that kind of a heart. And when a church is not just doesn't have a handful of elders and a handful of deacons and everybody else watches them and says, you, you go. But when the church says, we're all in, doesn't matter what my tithe, I don't, doesn't matter a role or an assignment. What matters is that Christ has changed me and I want to live this life and I want to hold on to the gospel and I want to be transformed to serve others. That's revival. When it's a whole body of people given over to Christ, empowered by the Spirit, looking for needs, meeting needs however they can, finding a way to meet needs that they can't meet, praying for needs, giving, serving, giving their time, their money, their abilities, uh, and leveraging them to reach people who are in need. When that happens, when the whole church gets the deacon spirit, the heart of service, we could say, the heart of Jesus, that's a revival. That's what I pray. I'm glad that we'll have a few deacons. I'm all about that. But what I'm really glad for, really praying for, is that our whole church, and starting, I put myself in front of the line, who's in need, that we all begin to see how Christ has served us through his death and resurrection. We're transformed, and we're going and doing likewise because he's already accepted us and freed us to serve. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.